there they go. It's always funny when you get up to speak, and as you get up on the stage, about half the church heads the other direction. So, I've, But I love that. I absolutely love that. All the kids, and big thanks to all you moms today on, on Mother's Day. It's a beautiful, beautiful Mother's Day. Mother's Day for me is always uh, something that... Uh, you know, I always think fondly of, not only for my own mother, but in 1986, I was baptized on Mother's Day, right here in that little baptistry right there. And, uh, you know, it's always helped Mother's Day for me. It's always been a, been a special time and a special day. And, and, you know, I think back to all those years ago, and, you know, it, it really is amazing. I know some of you were baptized, I was talking to some people, some of you were baptized in a river, some of you in a creek, a pond. I'll never forget uh, Kenny and Karen Jones when they were baptized. We went out into the pond there. It was Laurel Macy's old place. And uh-oh, looks like we're, we're dying here. That's okay. But I remember going out into the, uh, out into the water. I think Kenny and Karen are, were both practically baptized before they even got out to the middle because I think the mud was that deep. I don't know how anybody could walk out in the middle of that pond. But that was always a lot of fun. Where I used to live, in, uh, out in the country, up in Champaign County, I used to live right up on River Road, right beside Mad River. And people would always, uh, there was this one church that if they were going to get baptized, it was going to be down in the river. So you know, we'd get home and there'd be 20 cars lined up there on Little Millerstown Road. And you'd have these people uh, just pouring down over the bank, going down into the river. And I always thought that was really cool. And, but then it got to be wintertime. And I'll never forget one day, it had to be 20 to 15, 20 degrees out. Here they come. They were going down into the river. And I've never seen people run down the bank and then run back to their cars so fast in my life. I mean, that was, that was a quick baptism, run down there and boom. But uh, so we want to get going here today. Um, I had a thing for moms, but, uh, you know. oh, okay, well, oh, that's all right, well, anyways, but, but Mother's Day was always a big deal uh, for us growing up, um, my mom, it was, it's like, oh, gee, the one day I get a break, and my little sister and I would always try to do something special for her, you know, we're going to make this day great. We would get up and go into the kitchen before she got up, and we'd be making her breakfast, and you know, and we'd make eggs and the toast and stuff all over the kitchen. Totally trash the place, but we'd be so proud. Here, mom, this is for you on your special day. And she'd walk into the kitchen and just go, "Gee, thanks." <laughs> you know, more stuff to to do. So, but anyways. Uh, so uh, moms have a lot to put up with. A lot of times our, our children that you raise, uh, the husbands that you raise, uh, you know, you got a lot to put up with at times. And, you know, one of the things that uh, even with my own kids, oftentimes you'd hear them arguing in the next room and you would often hear somebody, usually Kayla, oh, grow up, oh, grow up. And kids would, uh, would do this. You see this at school all the time. Oh, grow up. Well, for Mother's Day, we'd always put on a, uh, 
get mom a card. Okay? And so what I want to do to start off today is some special cards for your moms today, all you mothers out there for, for Mother's Day. So let's go ahead and, and, and see what we got here. I picked these out especially for you moms. Mom, I can never repay you for everything you've done for me and still need to do for me. So, you know, Mom, we, we still, that never stops. I still ask my mom. I hope your Mother's Day is more pleasant than labor was. <laughs> Thanks for being a wonderful mother and always supporting me in every decision you ever made for me. I appreciate that, Mom. For all the love you've given me, I'll one day pay your nursing home bill. So... <laughs> There you go, Mom. This Mother's Day, I'd like to apologize for treating you like an Uber driver when I was a teenager. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to someone who carried me for nine months physically and for 29 years financially. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Mom, it's so great how much closer we've gotten since you started texting instead of calling. <laughs> and a big thank you to Neola from me. Thanks for letting me take credit for how well you've raised our kids. So th thank you, dear. I appreciate that. So thank you, moms. Okay, so we've been talking about, uh, you know, developing mature members and how the, here at North Hills, our mission statement is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, make people more mature in your Christian faith, does anybody know who that is? I'm just Peter Pan. We got some Disney fans out there. Very good. Growing up, Peter Pan was one of my favorites. He was the little boy who never grew up. He ran around Never Never Land. Had all had the wild boys. I forget their name actually, but they'd run around and oh, the Lost Boys. I thought they were the Wild Boys because they're pretty wild. But. Uh, I used to work with a guy who uh, was probably in his 50s now. Of course, I'm approaching 50. And back when he was in his younger 40s, we coached football together. And I used to nickname him Peter Pan because he, he never grew up. I mean, he was about 42, and you wouldn't have known any different. I mean, he'd be in the parking lot with the kids, and he'd peel out in his car and do different things. I'm like, holy smokes, Peter Pan. He's alive and well, St. Paris, Ohio. And who knew? But, uh, you know, when you think about Christian growth, we think about our maturity as, as people. We want to move you from beyond Peter Pan to something more mature. You know, we want to, you don't want to spend your whole life as a Christian, you know, like Peter Pan. Oh, I don't want to grow up. You know, I refuse to grow up. We want you to grow up. Well, today what I want to talk about is uh, some myths about spiritual maturity. You know, if our mission is to lead people into this growing relationship with Christ, what we're really saying is we want to push you or help you move on towards Christian maturity. It doesn't stop with, oh, I was baptized and I'm saved and that's, that's the end of the story. Well, that's just, that's just the beginning. What we want throughout the course of your lifetime is to grow closer to Christ, to grow up in the faith, to become spiritually Mature. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, uh, as a result, we are no longer to be children, 
tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. That's the goal. We want to move ahead. We want to grow as Christians. We don't want to be Peter Pan throughout our entire Christian life. Now, there are some myths about spiritual maturity that I want to bust today. Mythbusters, I love that show. Get on there. We're going to bust these myths. Let's move ahead to the first one here. Myth number one, spiritual growth is automatic. I used to believe this. Well, I'm, I became a Christian, and, and you know God's going to make me mature. It's just a matter of time before he, he brings me along. Well, spiritual growth is something that's intentional. It requires commitment. It requires determination on our part. It's not something that's automatic with the passage of time. I think spiritual growth is very intentional. It requires a commitment. It requires effort. Both God and and you have a role in in your spiritual growth, both of you. Becoming like Christ is the result of those commitments that we we make. We become whatever we're committed to. I told somebody last week I was going to try to make it through a sermon without making any reference to sports, but you might as well forget it. That's not going to happen because that's a huge part of my life. So, but... You know, we have athletes sometimes that they just expect, well, I'm, I'm here. How come I'm not getting any better? I talked to a girl the other day. She was disappointed. Her times that weren't coming down in her races and, you know, what's going on? And I said, well, you, we have to do more than just show up. There, there's a process to it. Romans 6.13 says, And do not go on presenting your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is a, a very active verse. It requires us to do something. We have to present ourselves to God in, in that sense. We have to um, you know, present all of us, who we are, to God, almost as, a, as an offering. That's an intentional action. You know, uh, you know, here it is, God, here's my life, take it, it's yours. I mean, that, that takes an active will on our part. Uh, so many times God, I think, wants to help us, and we're hanging on, won't quite let him have full control of stuff. And you know, we wonder why things get, get fouled up. Let's go to the next myth about spiritual growth. Well, spiritual growth is it's mystical. It's, uh, it's maturity. Is only a, it's only attainable to a select few of us. Only a few of us can ever be spiritual giants, and the rest of you are, you know, you just didn't get it or whatever it was. But I think many Christians feel that spiritual maturity is something that's so far out of reach. I mean, why even bother? Why try to attain it? I'll never be good enough. I'll always mess it up, so why bother? Spiritual growth is something that's, that's practical. Believers can grow to spiritual maturity if you develop habits, 
learning to pray, learning to put your faith into action, reading the Bible, doing some of the, the, the basic spiritual disciplines that require us to, you know, for us to get better. As, as athletes, you got to stretch. You got to get your sprints in. You got to train hard. You got to put ice on it. If you refuse to do any of those things, why are you surprised later when, when the race is on, you, you blow a hammy? What happened? You didn't prepare yourself. You weren't ready for the race. You weren't ready for, for what was to come. If we'd worked on that in advance, if we'd put some time and effort into it when we needed it the most, when we needed that spiritual maturity, it would be there. We'd be able to take it. We'd be able to handle things that happen. The next uh, myth. Spiritual maturity can occur instantly. You know, I thought uh, when I got baptized, everything's supposed to be perfect. I know a lot of Christians who have, you know, they'll admit, man, when I got baptized, that's when the problems really started. Because... Now I've, I've set myself apart from the world, and oh man, my friends never let me live it down. And man, there are some things I'd like to say to them that, man, those pesky Christian morals, they just get in the way of all the fun, you know. But uh, spiritual maturity is a process. It takes, takes time. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lifetime to grow and to become more like Christ. Believers grow faster, of course, when you're doing the right things. We had uh, uh, one of my favorite kids that I've ever coached, and I told some of you this story last week. I knew him when he was a little boy and had coached him in little league football, and then I coached him in junior high football, ended up, just, ended up in high school together, coached him in high school football, Coached him in track, different things. Just a wonderful kid. Found out he was using drugs on my team, our track team. So, you know, what do I do? Do I talk to the kid? Do I, I call the parent? What, you know, what a, I turned him into the police. Boom. Just like that. That hurt. I didn't want to because I love that kid. But I'm hoping in the process, maybe finally, it's going to get through his head. You can't take shortcuts to performance. This kid wanted more than anything to qualify for state in the track. He got injured, so what did he start doing? Somehow he got a hold of steroids, started taking roids. It was a horse tranquilizer, something for a horse, for an animal. Took that. Ended up getting mixed in with some, through that, some other bad habits. Um, started to come to practice under the influence of drugs. His performance kept slipping, but people who are under the influence of drugs, they don't get that. They think everything's fine. Everybody else is seeing, what is wrong? Something is not right here. You can't make shortcuts. You can't do that. And track, you can't do that in your spiritual life. There's no magic drug. 
There's no conference you can go to, no worship song we can sing that's going to suddenly put you at the top of your spiritual game. It's a lifetime of preparation, a lifetime of discipline, a lifetime of working at it every day to get better and better. And just like in sports, you're going to have days where you're going to slip. You're not going to be on your game. you got to get up, keep going. There are no shortcuts in life. You know that. There are no shortcuts in your spiritual maturity as well. Spiritual maturity is a process. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When we all get there, it's, it's a process. It takes lots of time. There are no shortcuts. Let's bust another myth. Number four here on our list. Spiritual maturity is measured by what you know. Hmm, how much do we know about things? Spiritual maturity, I believe, is demonstrated more by your behavior than your beliefs. Now, this is a, you know, knowledge of the Bible, of course, is something that's foundational to spiritual maturity. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you, you, you don't need to read your Bible. I mean, you can be totally ignorant and be a spiritual giant. I don't believe that that's true. But spiritual maturity is demonstrated, I think, more by your behavior than your beliefs. And that involves more than creeds and convictions. And, oh, we're the church of God, of the Abrahamic faith. We've got the right doctrine. The things that we believe are so distinctive from others. Well, God has blessed us with the truth. Does that make us more spiritual, more spiritually mature than others? Your beliefs have to be backed up by our behaviors. I think, uh, you know, without the behavior, we run the risk of turning our knowledge almost into something that can be a... We can take too much pride in that. Pride can be an issue. The evidence is in what you do, not what you know. You will know them by their deeds, not by the things that they say. Christ likened it to like a, a tree that gives off fruit. You know, if I went to an apple tree and there was an orange on it, First of all, I'd be amazed. I'd want to sell that dude. Look, look, this is great. No, but honestly, I'd probably cut that apple tree down. I wanted an apple. I didn't want an orange. You'll know them by their fruit, by the things that they bring forth. It's fruit, not knowledge, that demonstrates maturity. James says, but someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. We are not, I do not believe that we're saved by anything other than, than faith. Faith in Christ, it's a free gift. But that faith is shown to be valid through the deeds that we do. 
James is a hard book to read. If you've never read through it, you're like me, you'll get, you can read it in about 15, 20 minutes, but by the end you'll be like, yeesh, gee whiz, wow. You know, that's, a, that's a tough one to read. But spiritual maturity, I believe, is shown by, by our deeds, not by how much we know. We have to take what we learn and what we know and put it into practice. Next myth to bust. Number five, spiritual growth is a personal, it's private. You don't ask people about their religion or their politics. Those are things that are off limits. You shouldn't talk to people about that. Because many people believe that spiritual growth is it's a very personal and private matter. Now, sure, there are things that are very personal and private to all of us. And before you would ever open up your heart to anything of that nature, there has to be a trust factor established. And without that trust, well, you're never going to share any of your secrets and, and the private things that are so very important to us as people. Most spiritual formation teaching, however, a lot of times is self-centered with no real interaction with Christians. I can read a hundred books on spiritual growth. I probably have. But I don't know that they've made me any closer to my, to my church, to my friends. Spiritual growth is something that requires relationships to grow. Somebody the other week mentioned, look at John up there. John, he's, he's up there preaching and Man, three months ago, you wouldn't even see him around here. What's the deal? What's the deal? I have certain men who I love who have held me accountable. Be involved. Be a part of the church. Show your faith. We know you know it. We know you love these people. Put it into practice. Get out on the track. Run. My personal growth, it's not something that I can obtain by myself. It requires other people. We have to come alongside one another and help each other out. My niece, uh, she ran track. She was very slow, very slow. She just, I mean, you, you, on any track team, you have about five to ten kids. They're just out there for the, so, the social experience. They're with their friends. Everybody else is training. They're just kind of, you know, this is. She used to always come in almost dead last. But she would always pair herself up with the, the other slowest runner. You'd see some kid just struggling, and she'd be running right beside him. Come on, come on, we can make it. We'll get there. Let's go. We can make it. You know, and as a coach, you're like, ah, you want to win. You want to beat her. What are you doing? No, but she had it right. We want to help each other. Cross the finish line. you got to help one another. And sometimes that means you have to interact. You have to hold each other accountable. You have to love one another. Christians need relationships to grow. Hebrews um, chapter 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Christian church should not be made up of a bunch of lone rangers. Oh, silver. He's a hero, but he's the lone ranger. I don't think God intended for the, his church to be made up of lone rangers. You may have Tonto, your, your backup, but that's about it. You, you need a, we need a whole family. We need a whole group. The quality of your relationship to Christ, I believe, can be seen in the quality of your relationships to other believers. If you're out of fellowship with a brother or a sister, I think your worship is, is worthless. We have to be in fellowship and love. The quality of our relationship to Jesus Christ I think is a reflection of our relationship with other believers. And one of the reasons that I think our church has made that our mission, to bring people into a relationship with Christ. People have to be taught how to develop those kinds of relationships. Let's look at our last myth. Myth number six. Well, all you need is the Bible study to grow. Last week, I was big on small groups. You're going to hear a lot about small groups from me. Okay? Kyle will be here in a few weeks, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say. One of the things that I want to do while he's here is get these small groups kind of going and keep encouraging people to, let's join a small group. Let's be part of a group. God love them. My, uh, some of my track kids that were in the training room the other day. I don't know if you... Get on Facebook and check our online thing. But I've, I broadcasted live from the training room here at Graham High School. And all these little kids were like, oh, what are you doing? Coach, what are you doing? Don't do that, please. And I'm like, hey, look at here. Here's so-and-so. Well, the reason I did that, it, they're all in the ice bath together. All got their feet in the ice bucket. They're all, and if you've ever had an ice bath, it is not fun. It might sound nice and refreshing, but man, when you get in, It hurts. And the only way that they can get in the ice bucket, really, is for all of them to get in at once and hold each other accountable. No, don't jump out. No, no, stay here. We'll make it. We live, we suffer together. I think that's how maturity happens. Bible studies are important. It's through the Bible, I believe, that the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, the beliefs, the things that are foundational to what it means to be a Christian is where we're going to find those. It takes a variety of spiritual experiences with God to produce spiritual maturity, not just one. Having a heart that worships or praises God, building, um, enjoying your relationships with other people. Using your gifts in, in the church, your talents, to serve each other. Sharing your faith with the lost. All of these are important. Any church strategy to bring people to maturity, I think, has to incorporate those, those ideas. Spiritual growth occurs by participating in those types of disciplines. Mature Christians do more than study the Christian life. They, they live the Christian life. Study of the Bible without service produces Christians, I think, who can sometimes develop judgmental attitudes, spiritual pride, 
How dare you do that? The Bible saith, blah, blah, blah. Oh, sorry about that. What have you done to serve Christ? You know, what have you done besides tear people down because this is what the Bible says? So, the, you know, all these myths about spiritual growth and, you know, I think that, you know, why does maturity matter? I think we can go ahead and flip on here. We want to go on to spiritual maturity. We're all born into the, the Christian life as babies, but we want to progress as we go through life. You know, we want to become more spiritually mature. And one of the reasons you'll hear that a lot from us, I mean, today was a great demonstration of that, of why it's important that we become spiritually mature. Today during the uh, prayer time, did you notice all of the needs that came out this morning? I mean, usually it's valid needs, like, you know, Kayla's driving to fuel, protect her Lord as she drives. I mean, that's important. Today it was... I might have a, a disease, somebody's got cancer, I got surgery coming up, I've got all these severe problems. Uh, I teach social studies, so I'm in tune with the news. Uh, a few weeks ago, what had happened in Syria, the kids were interested in what had happened there. They, any kid with a phone can dial up. You know, video clips of what happened in Syria. They had video of these dozens of, of kids, little kids, like our kids, laying there gasping for breath because they had been gassed by a, by a dictator. And they laid there and they suffered and they died. Where was God? That's why spiritual maturity matters. People who are strong and mature in the faith, they don't look at God and say, where were you, God? Why didn't you save those little kids? People who are strong and who are mature in the faith look at God and say, my God, what an evil world. Lord Jesus, come. I don't blame you, God. I don't understand it. I'm not supposed to understand it. People who are not mature in the faith, they won't accept that. When the storms of life hit, when you get the diagnosis, when you lose your job, when you're disrespected, if we do not have spiritual maturity, if we've not worked on that through our life, those things can just take us away, knock us right off the course, take our faith and trample it. Um, years and years ago, there was a fellow here... Um, and Bob Petrie, was Pete's brother. And, uh, and I think it was his granddaughter that had, had uh, cancer of some kind. And I, I don't remember how old she was. She was only just a little girl, five or six maybe. And they prayed and prayed and prayed for that child. I'll never forget, they came to church one day and her dad stood back there and held her. And I just looked at her. It was very difficult for me to want to know, why? What's the point? 
We worship an all-loving, all-powerful God. Why would you allow this to happen? It's only as I've grown up in the faith that I stop blaming God and I start looking to God and saying, you know what, God, you, you were with her. You were with that family. You didn't abandon them. Through the fire, you were there the whole time. Like the old story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got thrown into the fiery furnace. Who was in the furnace with them? The angel. God was there with them, going through it. Don't believe that God didn't care or was not moved. He was there through the whole time. When the towers fell on 9-11, oh God, where were you? I'll tell you where he was. He was there in the building with those people when the thing came down. He wasn't gone. He was with them. Why do I say that? Because I've lived a life of trying to grow to maturity. I'm not there yet. I got a lot of places in my life that I'm still a baby. But thankfully, through tragedy in, in my own life, through the life of my family, we've been able to see God work through tragedy. When the storms of life hit, who do you, do you blame God? God's a big boy. He can take it. But I think we, it's not God's fault. Those Syrian children who died, it's, God didn't cause that. It was some wild dictator who killed his own people. You want to know why it happened? That's why it happened. When your marriage is falling apart, who do you blame? You don't blame God. Look at yourself. Spiritual maturity can save the day in something like that. Your marriage is falling apart. There's this thing called grace, this thing called forgiveness. Only if you've grown in your faith can you possibly look at somebody and say, I love you, I forgive. That's why we here at church push and push and push for us to all grow strong in our faith. If you go through your Christian life like Peter Pan, when things happen, when you get sick, when your marriage is on the, the rocks, when uh, you lose your job, and what do you got to fall back on? If you've grown through a lifetime of spiritual maturity, you're going to have that solid foundation. Like Christ said, when the, you know, the rains come, if you're built on the rock, you're not going to get washed away. You're going to, be, you're going to hold yourself firm. But if we've never grown... Like building it on the sand. And the winds come and the rains and the floods, and whoosh, away we go. So, again and again, my challenge to us as a church is to maintain this, this course that we're on. We're not in neutral waiting for a new pastor. All of us together, let's push each other on to spiritual maturity. So, when it comes time for this church to be able to respond, to the needs of our community, to the needs of each other. We'll be able to do that in a way that brings glory to God and uh, has faith and belief that God is with us and that God loves us.
Okay, so as the uh, worship team comes up, I, uh, I get a break next week, so you won't have me up here doing the Billy Graham thing. Uh, actually, we'll have a, um, a... I forgot his name. That's it. Yeah, he'll be here to speak, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say. He's a man who wants to serve God through the ministry, and uh, we're looking forward to that. So if you're listening, bud, we're, we're looking forward to you. We love you, and we'll be praying for you this week. Okay, let's, let's worship God.